Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Rusty, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another surreal week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, everybody in their appropriate uh, home residences. But uh, we'll start with Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Claire, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Virtually. And Rob. Yeah, virtually, virtually, yes, I hear you. And then, of course, Robert Craig, our executive director, is with us. Robert, good to have you. Uh, good day, everyone. So it is Thursday morning as uh, we all record. Uh, unfortunately, not together. We so much enjoying being together in our studio, but we're all uh, in our homes. Uh, Governor Evers this week did declare um, stay safe at home. And as of uh, Wednesday, 8 a.m., uh, Everyone is uh, outside of um, sort of getting food or medical or essential workers, you know, has been asked to stay at home, which is a major update. Um, there is a lot we could talk about, but to get started, and we will talk about a lot of different aspects um, of this uh, situation in the show, but for this first segment, um, we want to focus a little bit on how we at Citizen Action have been immediately responding over, particularly the last week since we last talked, uh, to the situation. Uh, Claire, could you at least um, let us know, uh, give us the highlights of uh, some of the top lines on what Citizen Action has been doing, particularly as it relates to health care and what we have been um, sort of our advocacy around what ought to be happening? I'd be happy to, Matt. Uh, I want to start by saying I think um, it makes sense that our government at the state and the local level started um, the response program first with the things that needed to immediately happen, right? So what do we need to do to keep people safe right now and to try to slow the spread of this virus? And so that's why it was important to start with all of the, uh, you know, close the schools, close um, gathering places, all of that, right? Those were um, you know, the, the stay and stay home, all of that, super important. It makes sense that they started there. But now that we've done those things, uh, we think here at Citizen Action that it is important that our government at the state level in particular start focusing on what can we do to ensure that people stay healthy and get healthy. So what do we do to ensure that folks get the testing and treatment that they need? And we know because as we talked on the podcast in recent weeks, that cost can be a huge barrier for folks seeking uh, treatment and care in normal circumstances. And we have no reason to believe that that wouldn't also be the case in a pandemic. So we think that um, the way that we can help ensure that we get past this, um, this pandemic is to ensure that everybody who needs it in the community, including folks who don't feel sick right now, get testing and that those who test positive get the treatment that they need and that cost does not stand in the way of that. Um, and so we're supporting um, a citizen action and pushing for a set of sort of policies, I'll call them, um, things that we think that the government, our state government can do to help um, ensure that um, that that cost is not a barrier for folks, um, and that we that we spread around um, the tests and treatments as much as possible. So the first of this is that, and you know we talked a lot about this in 2019, but we need to expand Badger Care. Um, Medicaid Badger Care is one of the biggest things, biggest programs, and most effective programs for helping, especially um, low and moderate income folks 
seek health care and health treatment when they need it. So expanding VagiCare would go a long way um, to ensuring that folks um, who feel like they might be sick don't avoid treatment for fear of cost. The second thing that we're pushing for um, is that when we expand Badger Care, we should also be asking the federal government for some flexibility in how we implement Medicare, excuse me, Medicaid, um, Badger Care, so that we can remove barriers for how timely um, people can enroll into the program. We want to just be able to assume folks are eligible, get them enrolled, and get them treated without long waiting periods. Um, the third thing that we want to do is that we want to have um, insurance companies waive cost sharing as it relates to um, treatments, testing, and other treatments for, for non-coronavirus related things that um, people may be discovered to have <clears throat> um, when they come in for testing and treatment related to COVID-19. Because we don't want somebody's like high deductibles and high co-pays to keep them from seeking treatment if they have private insurance. Um, so those are, those are really big, important things that we're pushing for um, on the state level. At the federal level, we want to ensure that any vaccines um, and treatments that come from publicly funded tax dollars and research um, get are, are free for us because, again, these vaccines and treatments do us no good if people can't afford them. And two, we want to defend the ACA. And this is something we've been talking about for a long time, but we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's not the time for this healthcare repeal lawsuit to move forward that, um, you know, Trump's DOJ is defending. Uh, we can't risk, you know, hundreds of thousands of Wisconsinites losing their health insurance um, right now. So uh, those are our, those are our top policy priorities right now, Matt. Robert, your uh, follow-up. Just to put a bow on Claire's excellent summary, uh, at this point, there will be time, assuming we can actually contain this virus, uh, to go back and talk about all the mistakes that were made. The only point of talking about mistakes now in the past is to try to learn from them immediately to save lives. So we do need to know what we didn't do because it changes uh, what we have to do now. So the not doing widespread testing and delaying at the federal level put us in a position where the social distancing was the only immediate way to uh, try to contain the virus. And so that, of course, has far worse economic con uh, consequences than it would have been if we tested. But we don't have a time machine. I mean, South Korea did this. So we're more in the Chinese model, except we don't have the Chinese authoritarian system to force people. And so it's going to be very important that people comply with Governor Evers's order. And we're lucky to live in a civilized state because we have a Democrat governor. I really fear we'd be like Florida with uh, their governor if we if the election had gone the other way in 2018. And that's not a partisan remark. That is literally, aside from a few places like Maryland and Ohio, there seems to be a difference between very red state governors and blue state governors, if you add them all up. The governors in Mississippi, Idaho, Missouri, Florida are endangering lives, just for example. So, and you can't name a Democratic governor doing that, actually. So that there's that. But then once we can do that, which is critical, and it has economic consequences, hence the bailout, we are going to need everyone with symptoms to get treated. And here's the thing. We always say healthcare is important, and it is, right? It's life and death all the time, but it, this puts a much finer point on it. 
if people don't go in because they're afraid of bankrupting health care costs, then it will actually harm everyone and, and fail to contain the virus, kill people, and continue the economic fallout. And so we and the problem is we did a report with uh, a, a survey, statewide survey with the Health Value Hub two weeks ago only that showed that half or nearly half of Wisconsinites have avoided health care, needed medical care because they were afraid of the cost because our system is built on cost. We have more costs and they're much bigger in health care than the cable industry or the, or the cell phone industry ever dreamed of. OK, so we are there are ways under emergency power. Uh, already granted by the federal government for Wisconsin to make health care virtually universal and not only make the testing free, which is now in federal, two different federal laws and everything related to it, and the vaccine free, but to make all the treatment free that comes from the COVID-19 test. And if we do not do that, people will not go in and it will hurt them. It'll hurt their families. And it'll hurt the whole society. And so that's critical, and the state needs to do that now. Now that Governor Evers has done the shelter-in-place, as it's called nationally, then we need to do this, okay? The second thing that needs to happen is one of the malicious things about this virus is that it, it is in healthy people with no symptoms, and they are spreading it. So once the testing backlog is, is overcome, which it has to be, but that's more of a federal issue, then we're going to need to test everyone. And why would a young, healthy person who lost their job go get the test if they had no symptoms unless they know everything will be free? And so the last bill that just passed the Senate late at night, uh, I guess it was Thursday morning, uh, early in the morning, um, literally it does, it does the vaccine, it does the testing, still no free treatment. People are still not going to go in. And so that's devastating. And so that's where we are right now, and that's why the next big thing after we successfully do shelter in place and hold it as long as we need to do is literally going to be the healthcare system, which is not set up for this, and all the profits and all the fees in this system that we forget to talk about for years, they're even more deadly now than before. So we will talk more specifically about um, the congressional bill that, um, as of the recording of this, looks like it's going to go through. I want to talk more about that later in the show. Um, however, we are close to a break. On the other side of this break, um, we are going to have a guest. We are going to be joined by Susanna Dyan from Caring Across Generations. We're going to talk more about the coronavirus. And uh, in particular, we want to talk about the comments of the Lieutenant Governor of Texas and talk more about that and how it relates to uh, the idea that we ought to have uh, universal family care for everybody uh, to, to make sure they get the kind of care um, that everybody needs. Um, and it is absolutely critical that we, 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 we take care of each other. But as of uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, we are at 585 confirmed cases. We know that will be well over 600 and it's rising. So, uh, but with that, we are going to take a break. We'll see you right after these, uh, these messages uh, from the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Connection. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really fortunate to have a special guest with us. Uh, that is Susanna Dyan. She is the Organizing and Field Director with Caring Across Generations. Susanna, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with all of you. So the reason we have you on is uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about very specifically the comments of the Lieutenant Governor of Texas 
uh, this week mm-hmm. and then talk about that that its implications and why it's so important for um, why we need to make sure that everybody has universal access to family care. So, Susanna, tell us, first of all, let our listeners know exactly what the lieutenant governor said, and then uh, briefly just some thoughts, and we'll go back and forth uh, from there. Yeah, so the lieutenant governor of Texas made some, I think, pretty inhumane comments uh, earlier this week in which he said basically grandparents should be willing to die uh, so that their grandkids can have an economy, right? That we should uh, be willing to self, if you're a senior, if you're someone at risk, if you're chronically ill, you should be willing to go back to work. Uh, You should be willing to go out so that we can make sure the economy runs um, in this kind of perverse switch that um, that's a way to sacrifice for your grandchildren. And, And I think sort of for us at Carrier Cross, we really feel like that is not the world that we want to live in. Um, we believe that every person in this society matters. Uh, it doesn't matter kind of your productive value in sort of like the economic sense, uh, but it, what matters is our families and our loved ones um, and being able to care and support those that we love, be they old, be they young, uh, be they in the middle. Uh, and so for us, that was a big uh, flashpoint of action and activity to push back on this narrative. Claire? Well, first, I'm so glad that Carrying Across has taken a lead on pushing back against this dystopic narrative. Um, And I'm really proud that um, Citizen Action was able to participate in your um, digital rapid response um, action, hashtag um, not dying for Wall Street. Um, And we had a number of Citizen Action members um, who sent videos and photos of themselves saying basically that thing that like, I'm not willing to put my life at risk um, for, for big corporate interests um, and for wall streets. And so I encourage you to check out our uh, Twitter page and caring across generations Twitter page to, to see those videos. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad that you're taking this lead. Um, I, I am just floored that we as a society have allowed ourselves to go down this path of saying that some people's lives are worth more than other people's lives. Uh, no, no human is disposable in that way, um, especially not a whole class of people, whether you define that class based, based on you know, age or health or otherwise. Um, that's, that's just not what we, what we should be standing for as a community, and it's certainly not what Citizen Action and Karen McCross stand for. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, the thing for me that sort of when I think about this, and I so appreciate your members um, and their stories, that was every time I would get one of the stories in, it was like, ooh, like so exciting. Uh, (laughs) That was like the sound I made every time. And um, I think that for us, what we are seeing in this moment is, is, is the who is our society here for, right? And in the federal stimulus bill, right, there's all of these bailouts for huge corporations. Um, I particularly feel disgusted by the idea that Trump might be able to um, send money to hospitality uh, industry that then would go directly into his hotels. Um, and that is right. What we need is, in fact, support for everyday families. Right. I have people all over, like in all parts of my life who have lost their jobs. Right. Because they were service workers. They can't go there anymore. They're on unemployment. How long will that last? How long can you live on sort of in um you know, 65% of your income, and that we see particularly for family caregivers, this added stress of having your kids home or having your um, older parent come back. We had a couple, a number of folks bring their folks um, out of nursing homes because they were worried about 
um, the, the virus spreading there. Um, and so I think that it's a huge time for us to be pushing the values that we hold, that Citizen Action of Wisconsin holds, that Karen Cross holds, and that many in the progressive movement hold, that every life matters, like that we all um, have value in our society and deserve to be honored and respected. Robert? Obviously, Susanna and Claire have laid out very well what is wrong with the lieutenant governor from Texas's statement, uh, which, and it's been panned in the mainstream media as well. I think it's instructive because he sort of said in plain words what a lot of folks who are shrewd enough not to say in plain words are pushing for. And mm-hmm. so this is really out there for real in a much more sophisticated way behind the scenes. In multiple states, including Wisconsin, large elements of the business community pushed against shelter in place because they prioritize the economy over uh, over people's lives. And they do it all the time. The healthcare industry is set up to prioritize profit over people's lives. We've been talking about that for years. There is a whole right-wing infrastructure doing this. And there are the people whispering in Donald Trump's ear where he is talking about acceptable losses and people die, a lot of people die in car crashes, we still have cars, that kind of talk, right? That's coming from there. In fact, there are people who specialize in a cost-benefit analysis on the right that try to say that, oh, you know, it's too costly economically not to pollute, not to do like what we do in these in in these uh, toxic zones like in Louisiana or sacrifice zones in cities that are heavily polluted and are people of color areas that they literally try to show that, okay, each life is worth, you know, 50000 and this regulation would cost too much. And one of them, Richard Epstein from the right-wing think tank structure, has now become prominent again because he's a major thinker on the right in the business community and making this case. So what's scary is, is that Trump's claims about coming back by Easter have to do with the same ideology. And so the the Texas uh, attorney general has done a great job of actually clarifying what people have been doing in kind of all along, uh, both the right and, and big parts of the business community, and that we need to fight back on. So he's done us a great service by surfacing the value in, in its clear and unadulterated form. And I think the other thing about that, right, we know that I've had talks a lot with a number of folks who are disability activists or folks who are disabled who are concerned about rationing of health care, that that will come, right? And again, this gets into whose life has value, who do we see, what are the cost benefits, um, and that that's, you know, particularly devastating for folks who struggle to gain access to health care. And we know the that the race and class implications of who gets access to health care is paramount in this country, right? Um, that low-income folks, and particularly low-income folks of color, are less likely to get sort of treated seriously when they go to the doctor and are less likely to get the services that they need. And it's happening in northern Italy right now, and I think we know if what Governor Cuomo of New York is projecting for New York, uh, he's one of the governors leading in place of the president, that we will have those choices, and this system left to its own devices will choose uh, wealthier, whiter people over lower-income people of color. They It will. And rural people are left out, too, because we've let the healthcare system totally disinvest in these areas, so they're much more vulnerable. And the red state governor is saying we have no, we don't have cases there, we don't need shelter in place. They haven't done any testing they don't know. In fact, every time someone tells you that another area is not a hot spot, they haven't tested like New York. We actually don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Susanna, we have just a minute or so left. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to any final thoughts and also um, any, if, if folks are, you know, want to reach out to you or anything, but uh, mostly just final thoughts for our listeners about the, the current situation. Yeah, thank you again so much for having me. It's a big moment for all of us. I think the thing that I think a lot about, um, and this comes from my past life as a disaster responder, is that we know that a safer community is a connected community. And so I really encourage folks to figure out how to have connection in a time of social distancing. Um, I I figured out how to get on a WhatsApp group with all of my neighbors so that we can be sharing information. Um, and there's a lot of good t- strategies around that. Um, you can, you know, knock on a door and then walk six feet away and have a conversation. But that this is a time where actually we have to figure out how to come together and support each other, both just for our own emotional and mental well, well-being and health, and also to be moving our country in the vision of our values and not letting it be de- decided by corporate interests. Yeah, I also mm-hmm. want to make a quick plug for um, um, Susanna and Caring Cross Generations are partnering with us to run an electronic postcard campaign to members of Congress in support of universal family care, which is something that we've been um, supporting for a month now before this pandemic, but I think is going to be even more important as we make our way through this. And then as after like the follow-up, like the fallout of the pandemic, like people are going to need more care um, as, as they heal and as our society heals. And so um, ensuring that everybody can avail themselves of that type of care is, is really important. So keep an eye out for the link that we will be sending out in the weekly this week about that. Um, and we encourage you all to fill it out so that um, Karen Cross can get postcards on your behalf to our members of Congress. And with that, we have got to bring this segment to a close. Susanna, thanks so much for joining us. We'll also be on our webpage here for the podcast. But uh, thanks a lot, Susanna, and uh, please stay safe. Thank you. You too. With that, we've got to go to a break. We'll be right back after this message at the Battleground with Scott. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we want to thank Susanna Dyan from Caring Across Generations for joining us uh, in the previous segment. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen, I encourage you to go back and listen to that segment. Uh, but we need to spend a little bit more time talking about um, sort of some of the political implications of the current crisis. Um, as of recording this morning, the Senate passed uh, another coronavirus bill. Uh, it was there were it was held up this week for a number of reasons. We might get into that, but uh, it looks like we're about to have uh, a little bit ha- have a bill passed. So I want to get uh, the panel's reactions uh, to the content of that bill. Robert, why don't you get us kicked off, and then Claire, uh, you give us a follow up. Okay, this is literally the biggest uh, relief bill ever. Um, all because of this coronavirus uh, crisis. So it tells you the economic fallout, and it's amazing that such a thing was done in this political context with this Republican Party and Democrats signing off. And so as a result, it has it has a number of things we like as progressives, as a number of things because you had to appease Trump and McConnell and the Republicans that we would prefer not to see, massive, massive giveaways, so the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the whole group managed to get better protections. So there's going to be direct payments of roughly $12 per person 
Uh, so uh, to help uh, to help deal with this, there's going to be uh, a very extended unemployment insurance, and that was that supplements the state insurance. And that's great. So there was an attempt by Republican senators led by Lindsey Graham and by John Cornyn and others uh, that they tried to block it, claiming that some people might get more money than they currently make and that that was somehow outrageous, even though they have no such concerns about huge corporate bailouts. But it did stay, thanks to the strength of the Democrats. There's needed help to hospitals and to health care around the immediate crisis. Uh, there is free corona, uh, coronavirus testing. Again, it was in the first bill as well. And then there are huge grants to large corporations, loan, loan guarantees, and forgivable loans for small business. And a number of other things. We go into the various sectors. And a decent amount of money, $150 billion for local and state government. So that's not enough, but at least gets us started because state and local government are spending a huge amount of money on this. And so there's a we've had bigger unemployment spike now than we've ever had recorded. That's how bad this is right now. Uh, I would say the downsides real quick are that the money that's going to go to big companies is going through the Fed very efficiently. The money going to small business is going to go to the small business administration, which is notoriously difficult to work with and slow. And so small businesses are not going to be aided as much because they're getting a shall we say, a lower level of service, whereas the big corporations get first class. This was extended unemployment to gig workers, which is huge, particularly for the Democrats. Uh, and the, the direct payments are also people who didn't pay their taxes, didn't, didn't owe any. But it's going to be harder for them to get and take longer, because if you, they already have your bank information from your last tax refund or payment, it'll be right away. Otherwise, it'll be more complicated. But way more inclusive than anything we've done before, and the Republicans tried to block that, and we're not going to help anyone who is really poor, which is totally disgusting. So I'm skipping over big things, but the top lines are the thing is amazing, and it has some huge pluses, but my God, it's $2 trillion, and it makes you worry about, uh, <laughs> about what we'll have for other priorities like global warming later, but that's how bad the economic fallout is. So Blair? we do have action from Washington. Yeah, I think Robert covered um, the the biggest, most important things. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the um, cash payments that would go for to folks. Um, for those of us like me who are policy wonks, um, we know that it's kind of hard for the government to just physically give money to people, and that usually when they do this, they do it in the form of uh, like a tax rebate or a tax credit. Um, and those tend to be actually like very ineffectual um, ways to send money directly to people. Um, so thankfully, they, they did not do that this time. Um, it, it will not um, come in the, in the form of, uh, of a tax credit, uh, which is great. I, I want to lift up what Robert said about um, the massive infusion of unemployment insurance benefits um, for folks, um, almost 40 weeks. Things like 39 weeks um, of, of full pay, basically for folks. I mean, that's that's as long as it takes to, you know, carry a pregnancy to term. Uh, it's just it's it's a good chunk of time for folks, um, and and the fact that it will be extended to people who often are excluded from um, traditional state-based unemployment services um, is is really really important, especially because those are folks who 
um, are most likely to be hit hard uh, by losing their jobs from the, the pandemic. Um, one issue um, is, and this goes back to sort of the history of, of how this bill came about. Um, originally, the Republicans in uh, the U.S. Senate had um, a bill proposed that would have granted what Democrats were calling just a giant slush fund to um, large businesses that folks could just um, spend however they wanted with no oversight and no guarantees that it would be spent to help workers. And that was the big holdup for a long time. Um, and so what happened was that then the, Nancy Pelosi and folks in the House said, you know, this is this is ridiculous. If you're going to if you're going to keep pushing for this, we're going to put our own proposal out. And that was the like two and a half trillion dollar proposal that basically forced um, the Senate Democrats and Republicans to the negotiating table to come up with this um, this bill. Um, and so that's why you still have this big $500 billion loan for um, corporations and industries, including $58 billion just for airlines in here. But at least there's some oversight now. So there's a, there's a committee that will oversee the fund, and there is an, a new special inspector general who will oversee the fund. There's still, as far as I can tell, are not guarantees um, that the money has to be used to help folks. Um, and who, who might be laid off and employees, um, but at least they won't be allowed or shouldn't be allowed as always loopholes, but they shouldn't be allowed to just buy, take this money and buy back their own stocks um, to make it to make it look like their company is worth more than it is in this sort of stock market crisis. Um, so so that's good because that's often what happens with bailouts. Um, I'm glad that provision is in there. Uh, a couple quick little little things that is, there is that kind of really for small business because they have to maintain their payroll. I think you're right yeah. about big yeah. business. And then yeah. the oversight is better with the inspector general. It was originally totally controlled, the slush fund that Democrats named it by Trump and his Treasury secretary and could have even gone to Trump and would have been secret, his enterprises. And they actually excluded Trump and members of Congress from benefiting or any of Trump's business enterprises. So. The Democrats really pushed back on Trump's idea that he was the oversight, which he said very scandalously uh, over the weekend. So yeah. before we move on to to potentially what could be happening next, because this this is, could go on and we, we might have a fourth package, um, just either of your responses. It sounds like you both are a bit more positive on this than, say, the 2008 bailout. And there are some folks on the left um, – uh, both here in state, but also nationally, who have said that this is not much different than the bank bailout, but that this is really now for the entire uh, corporate sector. Um, some folks have called it a robbery in progress, um, uh, an atrocity um, in that it really doesn't have a, have enough of the guarantees. I um, just want to get your thoughts to that uh, critique. That's absolutely true of the Republican parts of the bill. Uh, with some improvements by the Democrats. The problem is we wouldn't have gotten the unprecedented unemployment insurance and the cash payments and it going to gig economy, going to people who don't pay taxes and they're very poor without letting them do that. And you have a situation where the pain was going to be so great for average people. Look, morally, the Democrats have no choice. They had to get a, a, a good enough deal and get moving on this. And so this is not the time. It's us having... The Republican Senate and Trump as president is what caused that train robbery. At this point, 
they got as much as you get out of them as I can imagine without uh, without damaging people, and it would have done great damage if they had just tried to hold this up indefinitely. Claire, your your thoughts? Yeah, I to- I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I I in general um, am not a fan of of advancing bad policies for the sake of pragmatism, but when people's lives are on the line. Um, I, I think it's okay to make an exception and say, let's not let the, the perfect be the enemy of the life saving. And with that, we have just about a minute left. Um, uh, we're, we're likely to have a fourth package, right, Claire? Yeah. So um, one of the big things that a lot of progressives were hoping for out of this package um, were things like student debt relief um, and a lot more sort of like indirect progressive policies that would help folks um, because those appeared in that two and a half trillion dollar package that Nancy Pelosi proposed that forced the Senate to negotiate. Um, and so I would expect Senate, um, the Senate and um, the House representatives to soon be considering a fourth package that could have some of those more progressive, like indirect economic um, policies in them. So keep your eyes peeled in the coming days and weeks for that. Um, the last thing I'll say is that this bill will pass the House immediately on the first vote. They did all their negotiations on the front end with the Senate. So there's no need for like a reconciliation process between a House and a Senate bill. It's just going to very likely pass immediately. We're going to quickly take a break. We're going to get Robert's comments on the backside of this break. We got it. We got to take a break. So we are the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Been almost, it's all coronavirus. Uh, before we went to break, Robert, you were about uh, to make some uh, final comments about a uh, potential fourth package. Yeah, not well, no, I was going to talk about the president, the other source of power in this country, and I'm not going to talk about the mistakes he's already made. I'm going to talk about what he needs to do very quickly. Uh, right now, he said it's like World War II, but he's not using the Defense Procurement Act again because big business pushed back. He has to do that. We have to produce enough protective uh, equipment for healthcare workers, or we will lose healthcare workers. It'll risk their lives, and it'll risk everyone else's life, and we need to stop putting supplies on the open market where it's price gouged. It needs to be gotten at a reasonable price by the federal government and distributed where it's needed. In addition, we have we need national shelter in place, not a patchwork of, uh, of states. We have a bunch of red states that aren't doing it and are risking lives. Mississippi's even banning their local governments from doing it, unlike most of them, which are letting local governments at least do it. And so there's a lot we need to do in order to lead. And the, the final thing that needs to happen is President Trump needs to stop misleading the public because the Gallup poll uh, information on how people are seeing this uh, indicates a lot of Republicans, quite frankly, in other polling are, are, particularly in red states, are not understanding the crisis. They're risking themselves and their families and everyone else because it keeps being downplayed. And so it's got to stop. And we and the and. <laughs> The business lobby and the, and the far right that's pushing Trump is all part of it. It's not just one man who's a bad leader. He is the leading a whole movement that is all part of it. Fox News has been shameful, some of their hosts. Some of their news people have been perfectly great, but the, the opinion hosts, it's really scary. Thank you, Robert. With that, we do need to spend some time talk, talking about the other thing that has not stopped, and that is the Wisconsin April 7th election as of recording this morning, Thursday, uh, the election is still on. 
but we have had some changes since we last talked, and I want to make sure that we're very clear with our listeners about what those changes are. So we have had voter registration extended. Um, it had actually shut down for a day or two. Uh, it was part of one of the lawsuits. And uh, so essentially voter registration is now open and you can go online uh, and do that uh, until March 30th. Um, who knows? We'll see. This all may change. But again, this is where we're at right now. But if you are not registered, please get online and, and do that by March 30th. And uh, you can go uh, do all of this right through the My Vote wi.gov where you can also get an absentee ballot so essentially you can vote from your home you go on there and it's very simple uh, in order to to get your ballot you go through a few processes we won't go through all of them here but you have until april 2nd currently to go on and do that we will see if that changes but please go on get your absentee ballot because it is increasingly looking like we're not going to have in-person voting. It is just um, a number of municipalities now have declared that they don't believe they can safely do that. In particular, uh, the city of Green Bay and uh, Mayor Eric Genrich have been out front on Genrich have been out front on really being publicly candid about this, including uh, this week a lawsuit to try to get this election uh, changed. Um, so, with that, Robert Claire your thoughts on this election we're full speed ahead we think we're full speed ahead it's very problematic we can't hold this election safely right now we don't even have in-person absentee voting going on in milwaukee for safety reason my polling place in bayview one of the most the highest turnout ones in the whole city is is closed by public health officials the lake the the, the uh, south shore pavilion and then the, the mail ballot system is not designed for this. They're not sending it like in mail ballot states to every voter. Uh, you have to go and, and do it yourself. You have to be able to get them an, an electronic copy of a photo ID. And then you have to get it witnessed. And anyone who's sheltering in place will be violating the governor's directive on stay on, on safer at home if you go find someone outside your household unit to witness. You're risking someone else that either you know or a senior. I live in a building with a lot of seniors. Asking one of them to witness my my absentee ballot would be completely irresponsible on my part, right, because I, I could have it and, and risk them. And so this has got to be changed. The DNC, Democratic National Committee, has a lawsuit in federal court that already got the registration deadline moved to March 30th, but a lot more needs to get done and the problem is, is that the Republicans seem to think, from all I can tell, it's in their interest to have this election right now, and therefore they will not legislatively help change the statute. The problem for Wisconsin is that the, this election date's in statute, and the problem is local government uh, leaders have a fixed term, fixed to this date, and so the offices have become vacant. That's Governor Evers' position. Uh, some people think he can use his emergency powers. The federal judge could intervene. I think whether or not the governor thinks he has the emergency powers or not, he should go and do it, just like he did on shelter in place, despite the fact that, that uh, they were trying to block him, the Republicans and a number of business interests, and let them sue him, because no judge is going to, put, is going to take the initiative to, to, and take the responsibility for holding this election in this fashion, in my opinion. So he needs to use the executive powers. And, and, and Josh Call will defend him in court, and I doubt a judge would overturn him. Claire, any thoughts? I am 
I talked before about being really conflicted on how to deal with this election. Um, and I, I requested my absentee ballot. I'm lucky that I live with somebody, and so we will be able to witness each other's ballots. Um, I've been actually thinking a lot about how folks who live alone can get a ballot witnessed. And what I have come up with is basically a stand 12 feet apart, set it on the ground in the middle of you, <laughs> move back six feet, have the other person come and like sanitize it and then sign it and then like put it back on the ground and then go back six feet and like it just like feels really complicated Democracy. and then it also I know <laughs> right or like slide it under like sanitize it and then slide it under somebody's apartment door and then have them sign it and slide it back and then you sanitize it again before picking it up right like it's it is just bonkers that we live in a world where we have to think about this but um that is the only workaround that I have come up with to Robert's uh <laughs> issue that he raised um, and I only bring that up because I don't want people to not vote or not turn in their ballot for fear of um, having to come into contact with somebody to get it witnessed. Um, let's think creatively, people. It's not ideal, but democracy, we can do it. Yeah, I well, look, I, I Claire, Claire, I, we're working as hard as possible to get everyone to try to fill out these ballots, and we will continue to do that as an organization. And we are, we have, we have moved our field program onto uh, phones and doing everything possible. But like, this is absurd. And I just can't underscore what's been said by Robert earlier. I, I just cannot believe that we're pushing forward. And I can't believe that Evers just hasn't moved more sharply on this. Who cares what the legals are? Force them to sue you. Force them to try to say that it is smart to go forward with this election. Like I am all for uh, like trying to extend the date and figure out how maybe we could, you know, mail ballots to everyone, but like at least force that we're not going to have an election on April 7th and force a conversation, call a special session, right? Like uh, this is, this is crazy. Um, and a lot of people are being put in real risk to just continue to carry out these elections and the challenges that go on for all the candidates and groups that are trying to figure this out. Um, so it's just uh, not to mention all the people that we would put at risk to actually carry out uh, the poll workers, much less to count all these ballots, these potential virus carrying ballots that could be uh, being put through the mail and stuff. It's just it's oh crazy God. to me. Um, and it really does call for call for for, for leadership here. Uh, but until that happens, folks, turn in your absentee ballots, Robert. I was going to say we got to talk about all the people, low income people, people of color who will not be able to vote, people who aren't registered. They're, this is disenfranchising. This is worse than most of the cases we've ever brought to federal court about disenfranchisement, to have it under these conditions. So it's not only a public health uh, risk to do it, it's disen deeply disenfranchising. And I haven't mentioned, you know, seniors who are not very tech-savvy but are living alone. How on earth are they supposed to meet the photo ID requirement, which we know isn't even necessary? It was put in by right, the right wing in order to try to make create a hoop to voting. We know that. And so I had said, I don't want to be too on the governor. He had to lift heaven and earth due to shelter in place, which he had to do. And there's still time to deal with this election. And he, we haven't had it yet. And so I, I mentioned emergency powers. The other thing you could do is hold the special session, because right now, Robin Voss and 
Scott Fitzgerald aren't even being made to take a position clearly publicly be held accountable. And we need to remember, I was very worried Friday night when Governor Evers on which company television indicated that he'd only do things that he could agree with privately with the leadership of the legislature. I thought that cuts the public out and they're a big part of democracy. So I'm glad he ignored them and did shelter in place. Now he needs to either use emergency powers or he needs to have a special session to let them take responsibility for the what's going to happen, which is actually a lot of people are going to actually end up dying if we hold if we try to hold this election. Claire, you get the last word on this. Um, I, I can't solve all the problems that Robert just presented because they are all so legitimate. Um, but one of them that I can solve is the issue of needing to upload the, the photo of your voter ID. If you go request your um, absentee ballot online and you check the indefinitely confined box, you don't need to upload a photo of your ID. received guidance from multiple um, city and county clerks. Um, that manage elections on the local level who have said that that they are counting um, this outbreak as um, as an excuse for people to legitimately, legally, and without fraud be able to check that box because you are functionally confined to your home. So so go ahead, check that box, then you don't need to submit a copy of your ID. That's great. The governor needs to tell everyone that. Not everyone is as is, 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 is good at life hacks as Claire is. Claire is a very capable person. Uh, but literally the whole public needs to know that, and they don't. And yeah. with that, we have to end this episode of the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we want to thank Susanna Dyan from Caring Across Generations for joining us uh, today. Uh, and, of course, I want to thank Brian Woldridge, our producer, who is continuing to put the show on from his home. And all of you, uh, both Robert and Claire, for doing this from your home. And our listeners, uh, please share this podcast with a lot of folks. It's a good opportunity to expand our listenership, and we think our content's uh, worth it. So please uh, share this uh, podcast with others. And we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.